You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So I know that it's Memorial Day weekend, and I don't want to let this occasion get by without thanking those of you who have served or who are currently serving our country. So if you have served our country or are serving our country, would you please stand? We would just like to thank you and acknowledge you for your service. Don't be shy. Okay, that's better. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you and thank you. Now there's a little method to my madness. This will become a little more clearer when, I, when we get a little bit deeper into things here. But if you are a first responder among us, would, would you please stand so that we can thank you for the ongoing work that you do. You put your life on the line for us every day as well. Do we have any first responders in this service? And if we don't, that's okay. Now we do, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, if you are newer to our church family, or maybe this is one of your first Sundays at Grace, we've been going through a series in the Gospel of Luke, and it's just been a fantastic series. I love the Gospels, and I love Luke. And today we're going to be in Luke chapter 13. And from here, we're really going to accelerate in this series. Um, In these summer months, most weeks, we're going to be taking a chapter at a time. And if you know the chapters of Luke, boy, they are loaded with so many stories and so much good stuff for us. And so the preaching team and I are going to try to be very intentional and purposeful about what passages we do go after. So this means we're not preaching out of Luke chapter 12, for those of you who have been keeping track. But we did speak to many of the stories that the Gospel of Luke talks about in Luke chapter 12 in our Matthew series, because they're parallel stories. So I would encourage you, as we go through this whole series, and especially with Luke 12, if we don't speak to a passage that you were hoping we would speak to, please go back to our Matthew series and look at that, because many of those those parallel one another. And if we haven't talked about it in this series, we have in another. So I just wanted to give you that that heads up. But in this story today, in this passage today, Jesus is going to reach out and grab for some common reference points that the people of that day and age have. And every generation has this, those defining moment things that happen in our lives and especially happen in the lives of, in this case, our nation, our, our larger community that we can connect to and that we can remember. Let me give you an example. Do you remember this? Now, some of you weren't even born, and of course you can't remember this, but a number of us were around when this happened, and every generation has these defining moment things where you can remember what you were doing, what was going on in your life when you got the news that this type of an event had occurred. When 9-11 happened with the Twin Towers, um, I remember exactly where I was. Jamie and I had been married for a while, and we had some little kids at that point in that stage of life. She had just recently quit her job so that she could be a stay-at-home mom, and so our income had been cut in half. We had got into our first house, and we were just trying to make ends meet. And so we had picked up this paper route that was two, three days a week, and we took turns doing that, and it was early mornings when it was time for that to be done, and that week was my turn. So I remember I had just finished this paper out. I was on the other side of Beaverton from where the church was, where I was serving, and I got this page that came in. Now, if you go to a museum, 
you can see what a pager looks like. For those of you who may not know, you might want to Google this, but um, pagers are what we had before cell phones. And this was a really cool paging system because it didn't just send you phone numbers, it sent you text, so it could send you a message. And this message came out over this pager at like 6.30 in the morning that was addressed to all of us as pastoral staff that said, um, something has happened, this is a crisis, you need to come back to the church right away, which we never got messages like that. Well, what had happened was 9-11 was in the process of happening. So I, I remember this. It is a defining moment. In this story that we're going to look at today, Jesus is going to reach for two very similar things that have happened in the community and in the life of the nation. And he's going to point to these things and use them as an opportunity to once again declare the kingdom of God. And in this specific context, he is up against the people in the Jewish nation, the religious leaders and people in the crowd, who still do not believe he is who he says he is. In fact, they're actively resisting him now. They are his critics. They are attacking him. They're looking for ways to trap him and entrap him in what he's saying. And once again, he is calling them to repentance. He's calling them to turn and follow them. And that's the context of what we're looking at today. Um, if you're like me, I have never heard a sermon on this passage. This is, this is a, a passage that often doesn't get preached through. And I think one of the reasons why is it's, it's kind of hard to understand and the things that Jesus say are things that we really do need to grapple with to truly understand and appreciate, but we're going to, and we're going to do it together. So if you have um, a phone or a tablet, turn it on and get to Luke chapter 13. If you're old school like me and you still use a hardcover print Bible, then go ahead and turn there. Either way, we're going to put it up on the screen and I will, I will read it to you here. So here we go. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And now as he often does, Jesus is going to tell a parable, a story that emphasizes his point. So here he goes. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Okay, what in the world does all that mean? Well, let's begin to try to peel back some of the layers here. So Jesus is going to reach into their collective memory about some current events that have recently happened and use those as a way to illustrate what he's trying to say here. There's a reference to Pilate, who was the governor of that region. If you'll remember, it was Pilate who ultimately decided to hand Jesus over to be crucified. And Pilate was known for the atrocities and the ruthlessness by which he governed and ruled. He, there are several documented atrocities as we go back in history that he was directly responsible for, and evidently this was one of them as well. We don't know the details of what happened here, but this is what we do know. 
we do know that this is exactly the sort of thing Pilate would have done. Evidently, he sent some of his henchmen, some of his thugs, to go into the temple when some of his political rivals were there worshiping, presumably they were Jewish, and they slaughtered them. And it was, it was so, um, so awful, so grisly, that their blood mingled with the blood of the very things they were sacrificing. We know Pilate did this sort of thing. History tells us that. Okay, now he reaches for another story, and this is about another tower that fell on some innocent people. And Jesus is speaking to that. Again, we don't know what the details were here. But I was where that evidently happened when I was in Jerusalem a couple years ago. This is one of the things we were able to see. If you'll look up into the right-hand corner there, and I want to try to spell this out for our folks who are podcasting this or listening to this off of the internet later this week. But there's um, a sewer line that the city of Jerusalem was putting in in this quarter of the city. And basically in that part of the world, when you begin to dig or build something and you start unearthing things, you're gonna find stuff because there's so many thousands of years of history there. And so as they were putting in this sewer line, they began to unearth this part of um, the city where they thought the Pool of Siloam might be. And sure enough, most archeologists concur this is the remnant of the Pool of Siloam. So as you see those steps off to the center there, as you go down those steps off to the left, that's part of the Pool of Siloam that was unearthed. So it was in this area that this tower fell on these people. But that's all we know is the tower fell on some people. But then Jesus begins to say some very strong things to the crowd in relation to this. And on first glance, the things he are say, he's saying, especially repent or you too will perish, look pretty harsh and kind of insensitive, maybe even calloused, but that's not it at all. He knows exactly what they're thinking. Look at what he speaks to. Do you think that those Galileans who were slaughtered in the temple were worse sinners? Or do you think that the people were more guilty who that tower fell upon than other people? Because in first century thinking, People got what they deserved. So if bad things happen to you, really bad things in particular, well, it's because you were a really terrible person or you were a really bad sinner. We see this line of thinking all the way back in the Old Testament in, in the book of Job. Remember when Job's friends show up, what do they accuse him of? You have some kind of hidden sin in your life. That's why you're being punished this way. That's why all these bad things are happening to you. This is a you problem. But remember when Jesus directly corrected this thinking with the disciples, if you think back with me to the Gospel of John, where the Gospel of John captures this. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? See the assumption here? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And how does Jesus respond? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus goes on to heal him. But that was the thinking, was that if bad things happen to you, you are a bad person. And basically, people get what they deserve. And so if bad things happen to someone, they must be super, super bad. But we know that's not the reality, necessarily. I mean, we, we saw this in the confession video with those cute kids that we just watched a little earlier. Sometimes your sister dumps bubble bath on your bed. It just, it happens, right? Because we live in a broken world. And we live in a world where towers fall 
on innocent people. Because the world's broken. And Jesus knows this is what they're thinking. And he calls them to repentance. And now it begins to make a little more sense why he would say that and why he would say that the way he does. But there's another layer to us. Because when towers fall on people, so to speak, if we don't blame the people who are under the tower, then we can be tempted to blame the one above the tower. Well, God must be really cruel and awful and uncaring to create a world where things like this happen, which isn't true. But haven't we heard that narrative before? Those of you who were alive and remember 9-11, do you remember some of the narrative that was being told about that? Maybe this thinking isn't Old Testament thinking or first century thinking. Maybe we can do this as well. Because there were people who were saying the Twin Towers happened because God is punishing our nation. And you also had people say the Twin Towers happened because God doesn't care. He's cruel. Jesus says neither one of those are true. Maybe we're not as far removed from the first century as we think we are. And then Jesus' words begin to make a whole lot more sense. Because when trouble and tragedy come into our lives, this is what needs to be foremost. This reality of repentance, which is a change of mind, and then it's a change of the direction of your life. We live in a broken world. Of course, horrible things happened. In fact, as Christians, we should be the most balanced people in the world with how we understand things like this. On one hand, we're the most pessimistic people in the world because we're never surprised when these kinds of things happen. It is a broken world. Tragedies happen. Heartache, pain, difficulty, crisis. It is gonna happen because this world has been marred and distorted and damaged by sin and death. Those things were never the way God intended the world to be. And we look forward to a day when Jesus will come back and make all that right, reverse all that, and make things the way God always intended them to be. That's why we're not only the most pessimistic people in the world, we're also the most hopeful people in the world. Because we know this is not the way it's always going to be. And we know that this God is actively in the process of redeeming and restoring and repairing the world. That's our side of the street as the church. We join him in that. That's why we do the things that we do. But the reality is, there isn't just physical death. There is a spiritual death that we have to do business with. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying physical death. He's speaking to spiritual death. And there's an urgency here, especially to those who continue to refuse to believe that he is who he says he is. Time is running out. And this surfaces another issue in all this with how we define sin in our lives. Oftentimes, sin gets reduced to behavior as it's the things I do or the things I don't do. Yeah, but it goes even deeper than that. And Jesus is calling this crowd to repentance because sin is more than behavior. It is about the need for a savior. Think about the reality of this with me for just a minute. If we go all the way back to the Old Testament, remember the Ten Commandments? What were the first two commandments? Worship the Lord your God only, and you shall have no other gods before me. Do you realize if you obey the first two, you obey all the rest? 
Because sin is more than behavior. It is about the orientation and inclination of our heart. Worship is what gets us into trouble, and it's what gets us out of trouble. Because what we have a propensity to do is to make something else a functional savior in our life. We are hardwired to worship, and all of us are worshiping something or someone. And usually that someone or something is us. When we think about idolatry, we think of these little statues made out of metal and bronze and stone that we see in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's one expression of idolatry, but an even deeper expression of idolatry is worshiping anything other than God. And oftentimes, in our brokenness, it comes down to us. We worship our comfort. We worship our money. We worship our stuff. We elevate a relationship in our life to a place that only God should have in our life. The great church father, John Calvin, rightly said, the human heart is an idol-making factory. We will constantly take good things and elevate them to be ultimate things. And this is what happens. And this is where Jesus was going with what he said. When that happens, it creates in us this attitude of entitlement. Because now we fall into this line of thinking that God owes us. God owes me my comfort. God owes me money. God owes me a conflict-free, stress-free relationship with my spouse. And on and on it goes when God never promises us any of that stuff. And then a tower falls on someone we love or even falls on us. And we're angry. And all of a sudden, God's a bad God. And how in the world could he do this to us? He owes us. Well, actually, no, he doesn't. And actually, he does. What he owes us is the due penalty, really, justice for our sin and selfishness. That's what he owes us. But instead, he takes that on himself. And I would challenge you with this, with what we're about to look at here in this parable. God's kindness, God's patience, God's grace always precedes his judgment. I challenge you to look at any story of judgment in the Bible and you will see grace and mercy and patience that precedes it over and over and over again. Let's look at the example Jesus uses in this parable. So he talks about the fig tree. And this fig tree has had three years to produce fruit and it still hasn't. And the, the, the man who's tending the fig tree says, well, give it one more year. Folks, in fig tree world, this is a huge amount of time. This is a lot of time. This is a generous portion of time. It's analogous to um, blackberries for us. Do blackberries grow? Do they grow well in our climate? Same is true for fig trees. Fig trees are ubiquitous in Israel. They are everywhere. Yes, they need tending and cultivating, but they grow all by themselves. There's tons of wild figs that grow without anyone tending to them. When I was going to college, I went to Southern Oregon State down in Ashland. And I quickly learned that on that long travel between Portland and Ashland, in Rice Hill is the promised land. There's a little cafe there, a little diner called K&R Drive-In. Anyone ever been there? I just heard an amen. <laughs> it is the new Jerusalem, brother. It's, 
This is why. It looks terrible. You drive by that and you go, what a dive. I'm never frequenting there. But it's always busy, which is a, which is a sign, right? That's a clue. When you see a restaurant that's always busy, maybe the food is good there. The first time I went there, I, I go there, and I'll never forget, this guy walks up ahead of me, and he asks for an ice cream cone, and he's a single scoop. And so I thought, okay, well, this is going to be interesting. He gets it, and it's like this much ice cream. It's a single scoop, right? And their specialty, one of them, is blackberry whatever. Blackberry ice cream, blackberry whatever. And on the, on the diner, they used to have this sign, and never forgotten it, that says, it, it, the, the title is, Do We Have Blackberries? With question marks, and then it says, Do We Have Blackberries? Well, we may have run out, so let us go check the backyard because there's one that's probably growing there, or let us go look in the field, because there's a lot that continue to grow there, or may we just have a moment to look under your car, <laughs> because if you drove through a field or went off-road, you'll have some blackberries under there. We'll find some blackberries for you. Why? Because they grow everywhere. Same is true with fig trees in Israel. You give a fig tree three years, it's going to grow like crazy and produce a ton of fruit. You give it a year, that is a generous amount of time for it to produce. What's the point here, and what's the point of the parable? God is profoundly patient and profoundly kind and gives us chance after chance after chance to choose to turn and follow him over and over again. That's why it's so important that we recognize his mercy and his grace. Instead of God giving us what we deserve, he shows us mercy and doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he gives us what we don't deserve, and that's his grace. And the point here, the message here for the nation, and it is a message for us that's still applicable today, is time is running out. There is an urgency here. God is profoundly patient, profoundly gracious. He gives us second and third and fourth and fifth and 20th chances. But those chances eventually are going to come to an end. How long are we going to make him wait? How long is he going to have to wait for you? Because in a gathering this size, there are some of you who, to your credit, you're here but you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In fairness, you may be a moral person, but you're not following him with your life. How long does he have to wait for you? Because he will, to a point. And he'll give you far more chances and far more time than anyone ever would give someone. No one is more patient. No one is more gracious than God. But those second and third and fourth and 20th chances are going to come to an end. And that is the point here in this parable. Time is short. Time is running out. There's an urgency here. But it means that you've got to welcome his help. You've got to welcome his work in your life. Who is it in this story that helps the fig tree grow? The keeper of the fig tree Now, we don't want to chase this too far, but who is the owner of the field? It's God. That's clear. Who is the one who's helping the fig trees grow? That's God, too. Not necessarily saying that one's the Father and one's the Spirit, but functionally, that's what they do, right? The Holy Spirit helps us grow. We need to welcome God's help in our life. And please understand this, and this is one of the realities Jesus is speaking to. God is far more concerned with your and my growth 
than he is our comfort. And sometimes we get the two confused. I was reminded of this this last week with my wife, Jamie. We've been married 27 years now. Well, 27 years in December. I always count ahead because I, I love being married to her. But we have a good marriage because we work hard at it. Because this is the reality of, of marriage and really any relationship, but marriage will definitely surface this. Marriage will show you just how selfish you truly are. Marriage will also show you how truly selfless you can be. And one of the wrestling points for Jamie, and I know this will be a shocker to to many of you, especially those of you who are married, is our communication. Men and women communicate differently. It's taken me 27 years to get to that point, but I finally have arrived at that conclusion. But there are times that I don't communicate the way I should and need to to honor and bless and love my wife. And it's a thing that comes up every so often. And we were just talking about something related to that this week. And there have been tendencies in the past for me to be defensive and to explain and minimize and try to avoid those conversations or downplay them or what have you. But I continue to come to the realization that this is one of the ways God helps me grow in my life. It's through the relationships in my life. Yes, he grows us through the work of his Holy Spirit, through his word, through prayer, but especially through community and the relationships we have in our life. And so I need to welcome his help when that help comes. Whether it's a hard conversation with my wife or a friend who speaks truth into my life or you name it. But it does beg the question, if you're not growing in Christ If you're not qualitatively growing in your relationships, and I know that's hard to quantify and measure, but to put it in biblical vernacular, if you're not producing fruit in your life, could it be that instead of welcoming his help, you're resisting it? Because at the end of the day, we have to allow him to fertilize our life, just like in this parable, in this story. We'll keep this G-rated, but we've all seen the bumper sticker, blank happens, right? And it does, because this is a broken world. Towers fall on people. Trouble finds us. Tragedy invades our lives. And none of that's ever welcome. None of us would ever seek those things. But let me ask you a question. When have you grown the most in your life? Has it been when things have been easy and comfortable and good? Or has it been when there's been difficulty and heartache and pain and crisis? Well, I know the answer for me. Jamie and I have this journal that we keep. We call it our rock pile, which is a reference for those of you who know your Old Testament, back to the Old Testament, that at certain times in the life of the Jewish nation, when God would do something amazing, when he'd do a miracle and he would profoundly bless them, they'd build a big rock pile. And there it would sit. And for generations, they'd be able to point to that and say, you know what? You know what that means? This is when God brought us out of Egypt. When we crossed into the promised land, we built this pile of rocks. I know that happened hundreds of years ago, but that's what that means. And so we've tried to capture through the course of our lives together, what are those things God has done? Those miracles, those blessings, those amazing things. I I had one happen to me just this week. But 
on the other side of things, what about the hard times in our lives? I have a spiritual journal that I keep. Don't write in it very often. I frankly don't have time, but I try to make a point to capture as much as I can the hard things. When I'm in the middle of the hard things, the difficult things, the painful things, the heartbreaking things. Because I'm able to go back and look back on those and realize God used that in my life. God grew me through that. I didn't see it at the time, but man, I can see it now. But we cannot miss the warning that is repeated in this passage. Do you see how this passage ends? After all this time, all these chances, all this opportunity for this fig tree to grow, eventually it comes to the point where the owner says, cut it down. And I know that seems harsh. And it is a spiritual reality that everybody is going to live forever. Do you realize that? We're all gonna face physical death at least until Jesus comes back and that's done for. So after you die, you're either gonna be forever in God's presence in right relationship with him, rejoicing, experiencing unbelievable blessing. Wait till we get to next week. Please come back next week. We'll begin to look at some of that. Or you're going to face an eternity separated from God. That's, that's the bottom line. That's what this is talking about here. How, how can Jesus say that? How can God say that? Well, this is why. Because the tower that should have fallen on me, the tower that should fall on you, fell on him instead. He substituted himself for me and for you. That's why. Because through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus took on himself our guilt, our shame, our brokenness, a lifetime of sin, all those things we wish everybody didn't know about us, all those things that we regret, all those things that we wish we'd never been a part of. He takes all that on himself. And in its place, he gives us life. Jesus dies the death that we should have died in order to give us the life that we can now live. There's no other religion, no other worldview that teaches this reality, only Christianity. Why can Jesus say these things? Because the ultimate tower of death and sin and pain fell on him when it should have fallen on us. There's a story that I'm not sure many people know about the Twin Towers. That after that first tower fell, there were still a number of people who were temporarily trapped in that second tower and they were trying to find their way out through all the smoke and debris and dust and there was a corridor that was the only way out to safety. And there was a man, as the story goes, who was in that corridor and he was calling to people and telling people and pointing people the way out. He wasn't a first responder. He was just one of the employees with one of the companies there. And he kept pointing people to the way to safety until that last tower fell. And he lost his life. He was a hero. He gave his life so that others can live. The ultimate hero is Jesus Christ who gave his life so that you can live. And that is something to truly celebrate there is hope. 
Because the reality is this God has died on my behalf and yours in order to give us life. How long does he need to wait for you? He waited a long time for me. I had heard what you heard this morning many times in many different ways. But it was a defining moment when I finally decided to stop making him wait. When I realized that he really was the way, the truth, and the life. That he was real. That his promises were real. That the life he offers is real. The forgiveness he offers is real. But it was a defining moment when I made that choice. And I know that's true for many of you. But in a gathering this size, there's probably at least a handful of you who are still weighing all this out, trying to decide, okay. But understand, this patient, amazing, generous God is not gonna wait forever for you. He'll give you multiple chances. But you are so missing out on what you could truly be experiencing in your life. There truly is nothing better than knowing Jesus Christ. That song we just sang, the new song, it's true. And for those of you who know him, and celebrate, remember, let it soak in what you have in Jesus Christ. If you haven't had a chance to, just because the service ends doesn't mean our worship ends. Worship is something we do all the time, right? Go take communion. Go pray with one of our prayer team. Man, if you don't feel like you're seeing or experiencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, they would love to pray with you about that or anything. Or maybe it's to celebrate the fruit you see in your life. But this is why we live this way and why we do these things. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do good. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.